0: if people can get to a point where they're um, sitting with themselves for a few minutes a day, I mean, just developing that self-inquiry and developing that awareness of yourself, it opens up a lot of potential for you to understand yourself. Mm -hmm. And that's the purpose of yoga is to know thyself, is to really know who you are in this life. Life goes by and you, you end up in old age and you know you just carried away by all of the tasks and to-do lists and there was someone underneath there to discover and i think that's what yoga is is offering people tools and techniques for personal transformation and uh self-knowledge
1: welcome to conversations with soul a podcast with the intention to bring you back home to yourself These Heart to Hearts are hosted by Miri and Liss, the co-owners of Soul Cleanse, a holistic health offering specialising in organic juice and whole food cleanse programs, plus so much more. With our guests, we will be diving into conversations about holistic health, spirituality, emotions, relationships, sustainability, plus other juicy topics that light us up. Welcome to another episode of Conversations with Soul. Today I am with my friend Rose Lamont, who is the co-owner of Ritual Yoga and Pilates Studio, uh, which is based in Palm Beach on the Gold Coast, and she co-owns that with her sister Sophie. And today we're going to have a conversation about developing your own home yoga practice, which is going to be really interesting. So welcome to the podcast, Rose. Thank you for having me. (laughs) You're welcome. So before we get stuck into some questions, I just want to let everybody know that after our conversation together, Rose is going to take me through a little guided breathwork practice. So if you'd like to, you can get comfy and join along with us, or you can just kick back and listen. It's up to you. So let's get into it. Could you share a little bit about yourself and how you got into yoga?
0: I got into yoga when I was probably about 18 and that was purely just yoga classes. I really enjoyed the way that yoga made me feel and I'm someone who's always enjoyed being physical. So, you know, just being physical and being in my body and and when I found yoga, I really liked that I was able to go a little bit deeper with that and you know learn how to use my breath and you know some teachers would incorporate some philosophy which i found interesting and so yeah that was my initial entrance into yoga it was just to kind of to do some kind of movement that was enjoyable I wasn't really into like team sports or any other kind of thing so it was it was really just my entry in of just yeah just purely for physical reasons and just enjoying that feeling I couldn't really quite pinpoint what it was but just enjoying that feeling of yeah like using my breath and feeling a little bit clearer and getting some endorphins in my body and and, uh yeah that was originally how it started
1: Mm. and then when did you start yoga teacher training what led you to that point
0: well I think what spurred me on to do the do a yoga teacher training was I started to do some of my own research into yoga philosophy Mm -hmm. and that was really what hooked me in to wanting to pursue studying yoga So that's what I did. I I went into yoga hoping to really dive into yoga philosophy. I didn't really plan on becoming a yoga teacher, although in the back of my mind, I thought, oh, that might be something that is really interesting. And it just all kind of unfolded naturally. I just, I started doing the training and I got a little bit of philosophy in that. And then It wasn't until years later, you know, after I did my training and after I'd been doing, you know, some physical yoga classes and teaching some physical yoga classes and simple, really basic stuff that I met my teacher, Rose Borden. And I guess it wasn't until I met her that I started studying yoga more seriously, I guess would be the word, and practicing in a really different way. And that just happened by virtue of me kind of being at her lectures and being in her presence and, you know, attending class with her at her place and just conversations with her that led me into my own self-study and um, practice of yoga that that really transformed from being something that was just based in in yoga classes, Mm. I guess.
1: Yeah. I've been to some of Rose's lectures that you've put me on to. Yeah. I don't know. Someone like that has, you can tell she's gathered so much wisdom and life experience and really lived it. Yeah. And just to sit and listen to her speak is amazing. Yeah. So inspiring. So I can see how someone like her would really hook you in. Yeah,
0: she did. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like you said, she's really inspiring. I think mainly because she kind of broke down a lot of the ideas I had about what it meant to be like someone who's spiritual or Mm. a yogi, um, and I think that's why I always felt a little bit of out of touch with the yoga world is that, you know, I wasn't fitting into that mold of like your typical like yoga girl who does yoga. And so when I met her, she was kind of edgy. She was kind of a bit abrasive. She just said what was on her mind. But the philosophy that she was delivering was so cutting, you know, like so clear that you just can't forget some of the things that she said. And that really pushed me to to dive deeper into yoga and to start actually studying what yoga is really about, which kind of unfolded and expanded from, from that place. But, yeah, she's in her late 70s, and to see this woman embodying these teachings is something else.
1: Mm, yeah. It really is. So you were 18 when you first started practicing. How old were you when you did your first teacher
0: training? I think I was Maybe 20. Oh, you are quite 21, young. maybe. Yeah. And then how old were you when you met Rose? Maybe 24. Yeah. And then, yeah, I've just been going to her. She runs like a class at her house um, that she's been running for like 30 years with just – you know, locals from the area and her friends. And I started just going to that Monday morning class and spending more time with her. And eventually I invited her to ritual to run some workshops and to help me run the yoga teacher training. And yeah, just by virtue of being around her, I've really learned a lot. And I consider her to be a mentor of mine, which I feel really, really grateful for. Mm, what yeah. An, yeah, that's amazing, such an asset. Yeah, Such a
1: gift. It's a real gift. To be able to find someone physically on your path that you can learn from.
0: Yeah, that's true. Really rare. It is rare. I think, you know, because you can learn so much from books and you can study yoga texts and learn a lot. But it's another thing when you meet someone who studied these texts and then lived them over the course of like, you know, 50 years or so, she really – um brings the whole practice and the philosophy of, philosophy of yoga to life in her actions mm-hmm. in her words in her presence you can just feel she's a living embodiment so I think it is rare to find those people so I would say that anybody who is wanting to go deeper with yoga, look for these people because they exist and they might not be people who you might typically think are yoga teachers. Mm -hmm. They could just be, you know, it could be a grandparent, it could be a neighbor, it could be anyone, you know, someone in your life who's embodying what the teachings of yoga are offering, which is just that pure presence and attention and awareness in life. A lot of people are living examples of that and they are not doing quote unquote yoga. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: Well, they don't identify with it at all even. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Um, what about Ritual? When did you and Sophie open Ritual? Uh, we opened Ritual in 2015. hmm Yeah, that was a real journey. I think we were both really naive about what it took to, like, open up a, a yoga and Pilates studio and, you know, have a, a business and, you and I actually think that was a huge advantage being that naive because you're just – and you're a bit younger, you're less averse to risk. So mm. we just kind of like dove in and and then dealt with all the problems that came up as they evolved, I'm sure, like you've experienced in your own business. And so, yeah, we opened it. So if you only would have been 23 and she had just had it she, – she got pregnant basically straight after we opened. So it was like we just kind of like – Dove headfirst into this world. Um, and yeah, it's been a really fun journey. It's been challenging and it's also been, yeah, really invigorating. Mm, that's so cool. I love that you guys did that so young and just so ballsy. It was, it was, yeah. I do remember my dad saying, Oh, like, you know, what are you guys doing? We're both finishing university and we thought we were both going to go off, you know, and pursue what we'd been studying. And my dad was like trying to get behind us because he's really supportive. Like my parents, like yeah, great job, guys, like go for it. But also like, oh, like are you sure yoga? I think I think my dad said he's like, are you sure yoga isn't just like something you're into now and like you're going to be you know not into it later? And isn't it just a fad? Like everyone's doing yoga now. I had to like really try to explain to him like no doubt this is something we seriously want to pursue and now it's really interesting to see how yoga is continuing to grow Mm -hmm. um, and expand and it, it has been an interesting journey to see it evolve and actually the studio evolving has been really nice and seeing the community that's really holding the whole thing together has been really a humbling and enjoyable experience.
1: I think that's one of the things that I love the most about ritual. When you go there, it feels very welcoming. It doesn't feel intimidating at all. It feels like a place that anyone belongs. So that's a real testament to you and Sophie that you've created that and the community. Like Mm. The whole Palm Beach community is super cool. And, yeah, everyone that goes there, they're just there to unwind and really get into their bodies. It's not pretentious. It's really down to earth. I love it.
0: Oh, thank you for saying that because, Mm. yeah, I really hope that's the way that people feel. And that was our intention when we went in. Like Sophie and I have always felt like a little bit like oddballs. Like we never felt like we fit in one particular crowd. And so I always thought, you know, I really didn't want – we really didn't want the studio to be a place where, you know, only one kind of stereotype of person went. You know, we really wanted everyone to feel welcome and to come as they are and just to, yeah – to feel that sense of non-judgment and welcomeness, like you said. So I'm glad that you feel that way. Mm -hmm. Um, You've also studied Kirtana yoga and
1: I'd never heard of it until (laughs) (laughs) I went to one of your classes and it's a very different style. So I just wondered if you could touch on that and what it is and how you discovered it.
0: Yeah, Kirtana yoga, it is just essentially Hatha yoga. It was developed by a woman called Naveen Mishan And it's also being continually developed by Naveen and also her best friend, Abby Galvin, who's my teacher. And I discovered Katona Yoga in New York when I walked into Abby Galvin's yoga studio. And I think it kind of just blew my mind the way that she was teaching and practicing. And when I saw the students in the room and how I'm not going to say advanced, but you know, not advanced. in that you know, they were doing all these crazy poses, but everyone was really embodied and and focused on what they were doing. And it wasn't a kind of yoga where you know the you just blast like a a really good playlist and everyone kind of zones out and is just flowing all around the place. It was there was no music. She was like, "All right, guys, like this is what we're doing today." D-d-d-d. It was very kind of regimented and structured and measured but also really freeing. And then I really liked all of the metaphors that she was bringing into the practice and that they use in katoni Yoga. So what is Ketona Yoga? I guess Ketona Yoga is Hatha Yoga and it infuses Taoist theory. So more traditionally Hatha Yoga, which draws on the lineage of Tantra Yoga and Hatha Yoga and all the postural-based yoga that we see today, which comes from Krishnamacharya, uses Indian philosophy. And so Katona yoga is doing the Hatha practice, so the physical postures, but using Taoist philosophy and the the Chinese system in terms of the elements instead of we would probably be drawing on in more mainstream yoga, Indian philosophy and Ayurvedic elements and philosophy. So it without going like right deep into it, it just has a um, – different underpinning but it still is hatha yoga and the main thing that we focus on is the repetition of the yoga postures and the techniques and using your imagination to really infuse the postures and then rather than muscling through all of the postures you're you're using measure and, and try and access joint space it is something you really have to feel it is <laughs> I, i'm trying to explain it but it, it it's it's kind of hard to explain well, um, I will say because when I attended the class is that it
1: felt really refreshing to do Katona yoga because all I'd, all I'd predominantly done was vinyasa yoga um, and a lot of the queuing, any vinyasa yoga class that you go to is very similar. Like if you go to a class in New York versus Australia, there's like a method and a system. So then to go to a Katona yoga, it kind of gets you out of your – programmed mind you have to pay attention more because it's not something it's a new system just the philosophy behind it and moving into the postures so I actually feel like I can what forces me to be more present in a class even that alone is really cool and such a gift
0: yeah no I'm with you it does kind of break your habits Mm -hmm. and that's essentially what yoga boils down to and then I really enjoyed Katona yoga because, you know, meditation is much to do with breaking down conditioning. Mm. And the physical practice for me always seemed a little bit dissociated from like the classical purpose of yoga. And I really liked that Katona yoga was really about, like you just mentioned, actually breaking down the way we habitually move in the body. And that really changes your your mind and that it builds that awareness in the class. So yeah, it's, it's a huge part of it. You're using structure and geometry and measure as opposed to just using your habits mm-hmm. and kind of flowing through something purely out of, to say it again, habit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely.
1: yeah. I've had a mentor before that told me to start like brushing my teeth with my left hand and yes. doing everything the opposite. And that's how you basically reform your brain and your yeah. habits is because we're so conditioned mm. and we do things from the subconscious mind until mm. we really
0: shake that up. Mm. Yeah. Not Actually, Abby says that as well. Yeah. And in Katona yoga, they, they reference, some. Um, the three natures. So your first nature is basically your habitual nature. It's your plant nature. Mm. It's everything that kind of comes naturally to you, and it's your habits,
1: like brushing your teeth with your right exactly. hand. Exactly.
0: Yeah. yeah. Or the way the way you do everything naturally mm-hmm. and habitually. And then your second nature are things that are learned. It's like your scholastic nature. It's your solar nature. It's how you kind of um, build techniques within your life and within yourself that don't necessarily come come naturally and then they say the third nature is really how you weave these two things together Mm -hmm. things that have come naturally to you and things that you've learned and that really gives you competency in the world. And I guess the idea with habitual nature is that eventually your habits kind of break you because, you know, if you always just do what you're good at, then eventually your strength becomes your weakness. Mm. And that's something that um, Abby taught me. And I find that to be really invaluable. And it does speak to, you know, this idea that, you know, yoga should be something that just comes really naturally or just doing what you feel like it, but feel like at the time. But if you do pay attention, just doing what you feel like only kind of gives you more of the same thing over and over and over again. And the mind is very cunning and emotions are very watery. And so you can kind of just trick yourself a lot of the time. And so I really enjoyed what Abby taught me with Katona Yoga is that Yoga isn't necessarily about what comes naturally. It's about mm. developing your second nature, about things that actually don't come naturally to you. It's it's actually quite unnatural to do pranayama. It's quite unnatural to put yourself in these positions with asana. It's unnatural to train your mind with concentration. So you actually do have to, and Rose Borden talks a lot about this as well, go against what comes naturally to you to begin to unfold and evolve evolve yourself. Mm. So Katona yoga gives you that theory in an embodiment practice, like in the physical class you're doing it. And that's what I really liked about it. Mm, that's really cool. Yeah.
1: All right, let's switch gears a little bit. How is the landscape of yoga different now to when you started practicing or teaching? I guess you were you were 20.
0: Yeah. I. So think... how, how long ago was that? Do you want to share your age? <laughs> okay, so that was 13 years ago. Not yep. very long. I will just – Preface this whole conversation by saying that in no way do I consider myself to be any kind of like yoga master, advanced practitioner. For me, I feel a deep sense of humility with respect to these teachings. I wanted to say that because I feel like it's, you know, we're talking about the landscape of yoga, and there are some things to be said but then in saying that, I know that I'm also a part of that world. Mm-hmm. So I think, how has it changed? I think yoga is ubiquitous now. It's all over the planet. I, I did look at the stats recently about like how it's essentially become like a multi-billion dollar industry. And now it's so mainstream to the point that, you know, you can see an insurance company ad on a bus and it's got someone like sitting in a meditation posture or something like that. So I think that it's really made its way into the mainstream in a, in a, in an odd way. How has it changed? I've just noticed its expansion. Mm. Everybody knows what yoga is now. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows what meditation is now. Now there's a lot of breathwork courses all of which have their their roots in the traditional techniques of pranayama. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you say you go do yoga and breathing and meditation, people are going to be like, oh, cool. Like whereas if you said that maybe 10 or 15 years ago, people might be like, well, that's – they might think it's kind of weird or it's a bit hippie. So it's really mainstream now. Yeah. Which has its pros and its cons. So the practices the practices are becoming more diluted in my opinion and also in the opinions of, of other people who have do, been doing yoga for a long time. But then on the flip side, the benefit is that it gets to touch more people, Mm -hmm. which I think is another positive thing. So I think people attending yoga classes, you know, while that might not essentially be what yoga is per se, it does kind of crack the door open and give people a little sliver of what yoga could be. Mm. Yeah.
1: It's like a doorway.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. And actually I was reading an interview with someone who was a direct student of Krishnamacharya and TKV Desikachar and he said that when he was studying with them and they essentially were the ones to kind of bring yoga into the West Mm -hmm. and he was the teacher of Patabi Joyce and Iyengar, Krishnamacharya was, and in this interview with one of – his students, um, his student was saying that Desikacharya and Krishnamacharya were actually quite saddened. And this is going way back like 40 years ago to see the way that yoga had been manipulated and watered down in the West. And that was a really long time ago. So now to see how far it's come now and how much it's been watered down, it is very far away from what yoga is about. So, Yeah, I mean, that's a bit sad. But then also there's so much opportunity for Mm. people going out there and and studying yoga and who wish to share yoga um, or teach yoga to really educate themselves. Mm -hmm. And what
1: that might ignite in somebody that attends just a, a yoga class that maybe feels more attainable to them because if it was in the traditional sense. There's no way that as many people would practice.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, because it was, it did used to be handed down in quite a um, exclusive way mm-hmm. between teacher and student. So now it's open source; anyone can go access these techniques on the internet if you like. So yeah, you're right. It's there's so many advantages, and yeah, there's so much opportunity. I hope for it to kind of come full circle. Mm-hmm. You know, to go broad, but then to go narrow again.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, kind of leads into my next question which is about yoga teachers talking about living yoga off the mat in quotation marks and your practice beginning when you leave the class what does that mean to you
0: so i think that in one way that can be perceived as a really superficial statement mm. like i'm pretty sure you can attend any yoga class around the world and you know People are saying that all over.
1: It's definitely one of those statements that is regurgitated like, mm. like subconsciously.
0: Yeah. And I thought about that question myself for a little bit and, you know, I have said that in class, mm. never just kind of as a one liner like that. I try to give it a little bit of context so I think in one way it can be a really superficial comment because, you know, in, when you're looking at yoga, taking it off the mat, you know, what it depends what you're doing in the class, you know what I mean? So taking your yoga practice off the mat and into your life. Most people, after they finish the yoga class, you know, they're just going to go into the rest of their day and forget it all about the class. You know, they're not really going to take much into their life. On the flip side of that, if you in the yoga class are doing some simple breath, awareness, concentration techniques, and doing a little bit of pranayama, and you notice that there is a quality or a state that you've cultivated at the end of your yoga class, which should be the case when it has, you know, asana, pranayama, some concentration, some pratyahara, some withdrawal of the senses, you will cultivate this inward state of being and this intimacy with yourself, which feels a lot different when to when your senses are kind of streaming out of your body and your attention's all scattered everywhere. So in a yoga class, you try to pull all of your attention and awareness into your body so that your, your concentration and your awareness is quite powerful and mm. it, you're an embodiment in that moment. Um, body, mind, and breath all work together. So when you can access that place, and you know that it's accessible just by manipulating your breath a little bit and concentrating your mind, you could hypothetically take that into moments of conflict in your life, or you could take that into a moment in your life where you feel a little bit stressed. So I think that you can take the breath awareness and the concentration techniques moving that into your life is is so, so possible. And it reminds me of one of my favourite definitions of yoga also that that Rose gives is that um, yoga is grace under pressure and mm. I think that's really nice. So yoga off the mat, it could work that way.
1: Yeah. As well I have a feeling that perhaps what some teachers are trying to encourage in students is to think not of yoga as just the one-hour class, mm-hmm. but perhaps starting to develop a home practice or starting to take, like you said, these techniques yeah, and do them when they're just not in that one-hour yoga class too.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean you can take them into your life definitely mm. and then I think, you know, yoga in daily life, it's important to understand that yoga, asana and pranayama and meditation, they don't exist in a vacuum, they exist as a part of the wider philosophy of classical yoga. Mm. Um, so you could also think about, if you were trying to practice yoga in daily life, you could study the, the eight limbs of yoga mm-hmm. and you could look at the yamas and niyamas, which directly deal with, it's, a, it's an aspect of yoga philosophy, which directly deals with your actions and your behavior and your attitude and your relationship to mm. people and yourself like one of them, you could work with just one of them, for example, for your whole life. And that would be a complete yoga practice of just, and people do that. They just focus, for example, on satya, truthfulness. What does it mean to really embody the truth and to speak the truth and to be honest with yourself? Those things are yoga in daily life. So I think that, you know, the asana practice and the pranayama practice and developing a home practice is important. But then when you're starting to try to integrate yoga into living, into daily life and interactions, it's important to understand uh, yama and niyama and understand raja yoga, the com- the complete practice. So I would say if anyone wants to go learn how to use yoga in daily life, an in-depth study of the eight limbs of yoga is is required rather than just the physical practice. Mm-hmm. Home practice, I guess what, you know the reason we're yeah, here. Let's talk
1: about home practice.
0: Um, home practice is different to public classes. Mm-hmm. Home practice, again, I really want to credit that everything I know about home practice comes from Abby Galvin, and she even wrote a little book on it. Mm-hmm. And it has three practices in there: physical practices that she's honed like over a number of years. So these aren't my words, but she says home practice isn't about doing a practice at home. Home practice is really understanding that the body and the mind are your abode. You are your own home. Mm. So it's really about learning how to make your house a home, learning how to develop, you know, intimacy with yourself, learning how to befriend, befriend yourself, learning how to be in solitude, learning how to work with all of your your inner resources. And I think the difference between that and a public class, for example, is that when you go into a public class, you know, the teacher is there, you're in a group, they tell you what to do. And in some ways, you know, you're just focusing on the instructions and in home practice, you're instructing yourself, you're going through um, the techniques yourself and there's no distractions, you know, there's nobody else there to kind of hold you in that space. So you create that container for yourself. And what it does is it forces you to really learn how to to sit with yourself and to do yoga techniques in a way that is actually transforming you. Because in a way you can go to a public class, it's quite communal, it's kind of fun. It's quite entertaining. But home practice is not entertaining. It's hard. Yeah. There's just you and yourself. Yeah. So you have to, you really need three three things in order to have a, a good home practice. Again, Abby taught me all of this, so you'd be worth interviewing her as well in home practice because she just knows so much. But you need to have good techniques, So that includes like the physical asana techniques and the pranayama and the meditation techniques. The second piece is that you need to repeat those techniques because if you do something different every day, you just kind of are doing, again, your first nature. It's just what do I feel like doing? And your mind is always telling you different things about what you feel like doing. So you do things actually that are just the same and you might not necessarily feel like doing those things. So you have to kind of overcome that resistance through the repetition. And then what happens is when you repeat the same techniques over time, you notice that you are changing because the techniques have always been the same. Mm. So you come up against the techniques and the way you integrate those techniques changes. And I think that's the most profound kind of insight that comes from the repetition of techniques over time Mm. is that you notice how you're changing. And in the beginning, you know, you set yourself up, you know, you're doing the physical practice, then you might do the pranayama and then the meditation. And there's just all of this resistance, you know, you're like, you know, blowing in air in and out of your nose, you know, you're kind of half in it and your mind's going there and you're just looking at the clock, when's it going to be over? You kind of drag yourself through it. And then eventually you start to feel the energy of the body and and you start to notice how the breath is moving in the body and, and you feel that you have this current. In you and that you're subtly manipulating the, the prana or the energy of the body and then over time it becomes something that you really hone and you own these techniques as opposed to them just being quite foreign you start to embody them and you notice that you really change um, and your days are different and your experience of life is different because of that
1: to use a metaphor, it sounds like a scientific experiment and it everything is. is controlled and the variable is you. 100%. That's so, a good way to put it. Yeah, by you coming to the exact same mm. practice every single day, the only thing that you're going to notice different is yourself and how you turn up and the it whole is process. an experiment. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And it reminds me actually of this quote by Patabi Joyce that yoga is 99% practice and 1% theory. It's a really famous quote, but it's so pertinent because like you said, it it is an experiment, Mm -hmm. you know, and a lot of people talk about yoga, but don't actually do yoga. And I don't mean that in a judgmental way. It's just that you, in order to get the results, you need to do the work Mm -hmm. and doing the work is like really hard, Mm -hmm. you know, even if it's just 15 minutes a day, like I would encourage people you know, to, to try out the 15 minutes. And I always do that on the yoga teacher training. It's like, we're, guys, we're just starting with 15 minutes of some simple salutations and a really simple pranayama. And it's hard. It's hard to not just get up and look at your phone. It's hard to not just kind of rush into whatever your habit, habits are, your first nature is. So you have to cultivate a piece of yourself that is, isn't quite there yet. Mm, and so when you, yeah, it is. Mm. And yeah. It, it is it is a discipline but you know paradoxically when you have discipline you have freedom, you have choice um, when you don't have choice, you have your unconscious mm. you know and I guess in yoga classical yoga it's called vasana it's ingrained tendencies that just drive you unconsciously in a certain direction. So when you start to cultivate discipline, to break habits, then you gain all this freedom because you're not just unconsciously choosing things. Well, cho- choice is not the r- right word. You're not just unconsciously doing things. So you open up so much space for yourself to like. I don't know. When you do that in the morning, then your other actions that follow are different. Mm. You don't feel like you want to just waste, you know, twenty minutes of your time after that doom scrolling through Instagram like or you know your food habits change as well like what you put in your mouth changes after that like you'll notice that habits other habits start to fall away just by virtue of bringing that presence into your life which then kind of moment to moment expands out into daily living and I guess that goes back to what you were saying can what does it mean to take yoga off the mat I mean it it takes time, like years and years to just slowly let yourself unfold.
1: Mm. Yeah. Quite interesting just to see who you are when you rock up every day, I guess if you can view it in the lens of curiosity.
0: Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. It it is curiosity without being judgmental of Mm. yourself. And when you sit down as well, like for the pranayama and meditation, you just feel all of the things that are stressing you out in the moment you know, and they can mm. just be the tiniest little things, you know, you just start to pay attention to all that anxiety you're feeling about, you know, this deadline or something someone said or worries that you have and you just notice that those things are constantly being thrown up, you know, in the in the body-mind and I think I should say like yoga asana is important, it's good for keeping your body in a really you know, making your body a really solid vehicle for these inner techniques which come later, which is the deep work of pranayama and meditation, that is really what transforms your life and your mind. And and yoga is called the science of mind, essentially. And- when you can create a little bit of space, which slowly happens with meditation between you, where your awareness is, a little bit of objectivity and the sensations you're feeling, particularly anxiousness. That's Mm. like, I think a big one that people work with and me personally, that's what I've worked with. When you start to create a little bit of that space, which comes in meditation, then you're not so engrossed in that sensation. You create a little bit of distance, a little bit of objectivity, And that is really transformative and changes people's lives. It's changed my life quite a lot. So I think um, the curiosity of just going in and noticing what's the condition of my condition today, feeling that, observing that, noticing that, keep doing the technique that you're doing, the, the pranayama and, you know, the meditation technique. And, yeah, you really start to see the mind is something that it has a mind of its own, do you know what I mean? And then you're able to observe your mind and then when you have that space of observing the mind, you really notice that you're not your thoughts and your mind and your sensations per se and that is, it's a big deal, I think.
1: Yeah, it's the golden ticket.
0: It is, (laughs) yeah, it really is. Absolutely,
1: very easy to forget. What does your home practice look like?
0: So my home practice looks like the one, it's a variation of one that was taught to me again by Abby Galvin. It's not the, the exact one that she taught me, but it's, it's one that works for me in the mornings and it, it simply looks like I wake up, I have, okay, I, f- I first should say that like unless you have an area that you practice in your house, It's really hard to do home practice Mm -hmm. or like just a little spot or a mat. So I just have my mat rolled out so I know like that's where I'm going. I really don't try to think about it too much. I go straight there and then I just usually do a child's pose because my body feels really tight and stiff in the morning and then – I'll just start to connect into my breathing and then I'll do some salutations, moon and sun salutations, just to get energy moving. Should I just take you through exactly what happens or? Yeah. (laughs) I'm sure people are interested. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then I go straight into a pigeon pose Mm -hmm. with variations. Then I go into a double pigeon with variations. And then I go into gomakasana, cow face pose with variations, into a seated twist and then I will do a back bend, mm-hmm. and then I will do another twist, and then I'll usually do a plow, and then I will sit up. These are all kind of Katona yoga variations. They're not. Um, it's not a rigorous practice, I mm. should say. Yeah, it's not. It doesn't seem to be too long or no, arduous. no, it's not. And I guess like yeah, that's the main thing. If you try to make it, if you set the barrier, the goal too high, it's yeah. just like you won't even do it. So I just try to make it. Accessible, it probably takes me about 30 minutes to get through the asana. Mm -hmm. And then I find a seat and I do Nadi Shadana with different techniques and/or different variations um, on that alternate nostril breathing. Nostril breathing, alternate nostril breathing. Then I sit and um, I use an app called Insight Timer. Mm -hmm. I'm just plugging that up because it's a really good app. So (laughs) great. And just for the timer, it's a really good way to measure the time that you're in because – This is meditation? Meditation, yeah. Well, I sit and and I do a technique called Anapanasati, which you would have learned from Vipassana. Yeah. And, yeah, just following the breath at the entrance of the nostrils and I do that – well, I I set that for 20 minutes and I just do that technique for the whole 20 minutes – and then when Which the bell rings, not easy. it's not easy. No, it <laughs> sounds
1: really simple, but it's definitely not easy.
0: Yeah, it's not, it's not at all. And then uh, the bell rings and I usually just kind of sit there for a few more moments and then I will do a little bit of mantra and then I am finished. So, I mean, that's quite a long practice that took me a while to develop because For a long time, I didn't actually do a home practice. I didn't even know what that meant. Mm -hmm. I just knew that public classes really weren't getting me anywhere. When you want to pursue yoga more deeply, you do need to cultivate this level of intimacy with yourself. So, yeah, um, that's what it looks like. And I think in the beginning you need to do something that's achievable. So it could just be, I would say for anyone listening and you want to start a home practice, even if you know a lot of yoga postures and things, just do some salutations and then sit down and and do Nadi Shadana and then follow your alternate nostril breathing and then follow your breath. And that's 15 minutes of that is actually Mm. (laughs) life-changing. It doesn't seem like much, but it really is. And then over time you stay longer because you want to.
1: Mm, the discipline of doing it every day is the magic though
0: it is yeah Yeah. you do need the repetition and consistency and you need to have the patience to do that over an extended period of time and the yoga sutras talk about that you know um with respect to advancing with the eight limbs of yoga you know you can't just do it once and expect results even though there's small results yeah it's like anything absolutely it's like I don't know, like golf, I'm sure. Yeah. I tried to play golf once. It was really hard. (gasps) It's so hard. It's really hard. It's not like an
1: entry-level sport.
0: Yeah, (laughs) it's not. And neither is meditation. True. It's kind of, and that's why the asana is really important. I think it gets people going in the beginning. It's kind of like, all right, like. I feel like it's the hook. It is. It does. It really. Because you feel really good.
1: And I mean, it's such a great way to keep healthy.
0: yeah. It's a gateway drug. I lo-
1: yeah, I struggle to do exercise that isn't yoga, to yeah. be honest. Yeah. I know yoga's not like an exercise. But no,
0: yeah, it is exercise, yeah. It is exercise, but in terms of
1: keeping my body healthy, I just feel so good when I practice yoga that I struggle. I, can yeah. w- I like walking, but
0: other yeah, than yeah. that, I just love same. yoga and Pilates, a little bit of Pilates. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a really good way for people to get it. I think, like I said, I started yoga because of exercise. Mm-hmm. And then I just ended up, like, you know, neck deep in this thing that's kind of taken over my life in a positive way. So, yeah, I think it does lead people in. And if people can get to a point where they're um, sitting with themselves for a few minutes a day, I mean, just developing that self-inquiry and developing that awareness of yourself um, it opens up a lot of potential for you to understand yourself and Mm -hmm. that's the purpose of yoga is to know thyself is to really know who you are in this life life goes by and you you end up in old age and you know you're just carried away by all of the tasks and to-do lists and there was someone underneath there to discover and I think that's what yoga is is offering people tools and techniques for personal transformation and uh Self-knowledge. So cool. So say someone practices yoga a couple
1: of times a week at their local studio and they're interested in dabbling in a home practice. Well, not dabbling. They're interested in committing to a home practice. Mm. Do you think that they could start by themselves or would you recommend that they learn more or?
0: I think you can start by yourself. Yeah. I think you need a good teacher for pranayama and meditation. And obviously asana, you do need a a teacher at some point, but you know, not having a studio is not a barrier. I think you can learn the salutations in a really easy way. Like, you know, you just inhaling, lifting the arms, exhaling, doing a forward fold, just beginner variations, Mm. you know, doing the salutations really gently. And then if you're just sitting with yourself, after that, and you know, maybe you're not doing the alternate nostril breathing, maybe you're just breathing in for four and then exhaling for four and then sitting and just observing your breath for a few minutes. That's a perfect start. And then if you think, okay, now I want to go get some instruction, you can seek out a teacher and seek out someone to start to guide you through the practices and learn more and, you know, there's plenty of things online now where you can go where you can go and learn just the beginning. I wouldn't really recommend like just practicing online mm. because you do need a teacher. But if you want to learn these things, they're out there, mm-hmm. you know, for everybody and you don't need to buy anything. Maybe a yoga mat would help actually. But you know, you don't need to go buy and buy into this spiritual materialism that exists about having the perfect mm-hmm. Mat and the perfect clothes and the perfect yoga body and the perfect studios to go to mm. and blah blah blah. It's like yoga has nothing to do with that. It's about everything that you already have. If you have a body, you have your mind, you have your breath. Good, you can start there. Mm. Then just doing the salutations, some simple breathing, just paying aware, paying attention. That's all you need to do. Pay attention to the breath and the movement. That's like yeah, an advanced practice.
1: And all the other stuff is just going to take you further away
0: from where you're trying to go. It really does, yeah.
1: Get sucked in.
0: Yeah. I think, you know, it's such a big industry, a big money-making industry, mm. and it's sad to see the way that yoga is portrayed on Instagram um, I know a lot of people feel too afraid to come into the studio. Well, I've, I've heard this from people because of what their perception of yoga is and they see all these like skinny 20-year-old girls like doing like the splits and they're like, God, like that's not me. I can't do that. And, yeah, I think a good teacher will break away that perception for you and break down, shatter that perception for you. Shatter it, yeah. Yeah. So- and if you do yoga, like just – at home with those little simple things like you'll see too it's not what it's about Mm. yeah also
1: ritual has online platform of free classes so yeah i mean if someone's listening they don't have access to a studio or they feel too intimidated to go they want to try it out first they can always jump on your website
0: yeah. We just have a free platform where we put classes up and you can just, yeah, you can log in and it doesn't cost anything. You can just go in and explore the classes. And I think that's a good way. Yeah. If you're at home and you feel a bit nervous about going into the studio or if, you know, you have a financial strain at the moment as a mm-hmm. lot of people do, like, yeah, I think that finances should never be a barrier to learning yoga because yeah, you it's about relying on your inner resources, everything you already have. So yeah. That's
1: cool. So let's do a little practice together. You're going to take me through some breath work and potentially this is a practice that people can follow along with at home and incorporate into their home practice if they feel aligned.
0: Yeah. So this isn't a like a particular pranayama per se, but it's a really nice thing to do just to start to become aware of the flow of breath in your body and also just to feel that you're alive and to drop yourself into your physicality. So we're going to be doing just a four part breath and we're feeling the four phases of the breath. So if you're at home, you can just make yourself nice and comfortable sitting up and it's always useful to just sit on top of a blanket or a cushion if you have something close by so that your, your spine is elongated and you're not using your back muscles to hold yourself up. And then place one hand on your chest and place the other hand on your belly. And simply become aware of the sensation of the breath, just noticing the breath is coming in and going out and you don't need to make any effort here. This is given to you. So feeling the subtle expansion of the body on the inhalation, the softening on the exhalation. The inhalation is associated with receiving It's a yin quality and the exhalation is a giving, it's a yang quality. And then just gently draw your chin down so that you're not breathing through your nostrils as much. You're kind of breathing from the larynx. So you might've heard the term ujjayi breathing before. So there's a subtle whispering sound to the breath. And you feel like you're breathing more from the throat than from the nostrils. It's the breathing that you start to go into in deep sleep. And then on your next inhalation, feel the ribs expand, feel the chest rise, feel the back expand. Breathe all the way into the very top of your inhalation and then pause, notice that pause at the top of the inhalation for the breath retention and then feel the exhalation. So breathing all the way out, the navel subtly draws back to the spine to complete the exhalation and then pausing at the bottom of the exhalation and noticing the space here. And then breathing in, feeling the belly expand, feeling the ribs expand, feeling the chest rise up toward the chin slightly. Pause at the top of your in-breath, hold in that silent space of the kumbhaka or the breath retention. And then exhaling, letting the breath go, feeling the navel draw back to the spine, emptying your lungs completely, and then pause at the bottom of the breath. And we'll do one more round together. So breathing in, two, three, four, pause and hold your breath here. Let the body soften, and breathing out, two, three, four, pause on an empty breath. Beautiful, and then just return to relaxed abdominal breathing. And so you've successfully accessed the four phases of the breath, the inhale, the pause at the top of the inhale, the exhale, and the pause at the bottom of the exhale. These are the four parts or the four phases of the breath. Thank you so much. No worries. Thank you for having me. It's been a real pleasure. It's been a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. And thanks for letting me talk about yoga. (laughs) Anytime. And we'll put lots of
1: notes below if anyone wants to check out ritual or their online space. And perhaps some links to Abby Galvin's work that you've mentioned today. Yeah. And Rose Boardman too.
0: Yeah, definitely. I'll um, send them through.
1: Wonderful. Thank you. Thanks, Liz. Thank you for journeying with us today. We trust you received the wisdom shared in this episode. If you felt the resonance of the conversation and think it will support other people, please subscribe, share this episode and leave a review. Importantly, before we go, we'd like to acknowledge country and the Bundjalung Nation that we are recording this podcast on. We have so much gratitude for the abundant land we live upon that nourishes and heals us, and we hold deep reverence for the First Nations people that care for our country and for the wisdom they keep. May we be open to continue to learn and
0: grow.